there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Hope everybody had a great Easter, Passover, whatever you celebrated weekend and are recharged and ready to rock and roll this week because we got Dr. Batar back for Advanced Medicine Monday. And man, oh man, what medicine is doing and acknowledging that they don't want to do. This is going to be stunning. 45 tests now, they say, not necessary. Why were they necessary before? We're going to find out right now. Dr. Batar, welcome back. Hey, Robert, how are you? <laughs> Doing well. I, this You sent me this last week, and I covered a little bit of it. I, I, I just couldn't wait to get you on to talk about this. This link we have up through MSNBC, and there were others that picked up the story. Doctors question 45 common medical tests. Now, why are they questioning it now and not like 45 years ago? <laughs> what, what happened here? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Now, when the system is breaking down and they're saying that there's not going to be any money left in the coffers, all of a sudden, these treatments that were – remember, these were the standard of care – Yes. – are now suddenly not necessary, which is what myself and many of my colleagues have been saying for decades, literally. Yes. So and some we- of these tests, it's not even whether they're necessary or not, Robert. They're dangerous. Yeah, and that, that is an important point to add on, so to speak. Not necessary, but also very dangerous. So at what point do they wake up? Now, interesting, you said the economics are, are, are really driving this thing because at, when there was money to pay for it, they were like, sure, sign them up, send them on, order the test, order 10 tests for all we care. But now, as, it's, as you said, it's breaking down. And this kind of reminds me of Dr. Ron Paul, what he said about even the Federal Reserve System, the, you know, the economic scale on the planet, saying, listen, even if we don't end the Fed, it's going to collapse of its own accord because you just can't continue to print money and, and basically as evidence of debt. And we're seeing this in the medical realm. Absolutely. It's one of the things that's most amazing is, though, that the way they have, again, tried to repaint this as if it's an advanced modality of thinking that they're now coming to this conclusion that, you know, we should become more efficient, whereas, in fact, it's nothing more than the same justification that they've used to create the fear mongering and the mm-hmm. scare the, the the scare tactics used for the spread of vaccines, for instance. Sure. You know the the way that they propagate the necessity for taking vaccination, and then when all of a sudden those vaccines, which were by the way two or three years old already, because as you know the vaccines are supposed to be made for specific viral strains that are supposed to be. Um, predominant in that particular year. But now mm-hmm. they've painted this entire picture that you need these vaccines, you need these vaccines. If you don't get them, you're going to get the flu, you're going to get this, that, the other, mm-hmm. you could possibly die. And the vaccines, by the way, that they, they're, they're talking about is all the extra vaccines left over from the previous two years. And then everybody goes into a frenzy and, and hospitals are backed up and ERs are backed up and nobody's uh, getting in, uh, enough of the vaccines and their people are panicking. And then all of a sudden CDC comes on national TV and says, oh, well, 
the influenza season isn't going to be as bad as we thought this year. Why? Because they sold all their yeah, backlogs of vaccines. We're sold out. It's not going to be as bad. Well, it's good for the bottom line of those who are uh, economically benefiting by it. But w- this this story, it says nine medical societies. Medical societies. What does that tell you about? It's a society of medicine. I mean, it's a society of drugs, basically, including the American Society of Clinical Oncology and the American College of Cardiology, as they say, representing 375,000 physicians, are challenging, right? They're challenging. Not that it's like not, we didn't go oops, we're challenging it now. Why? The widely held perception that more health care is better. Now, you explained to me how all of these tests that are very dangerous and sometimes can cause diseases like cancer are actually health care. I mean, that to me means disease creation, disease management. It's an oxymoron, health care. Yeah. You give somebody radiation or you do x-rays to check them for certain things, you know, irradiating them. How is that considered health care? Mm. And that is the question here is it as we see not because it's the right thing to do that they're doing this, but as you say, because of the inability to pay. Now, the controversy, Dr. Bittar, I don't know if you've been following us from uh, the, let's say, so-called the right that's saying we we knew Obamacare was going to do this. It's it's rationing. It's rationing of care. It's like, listen, even if there wasn't an Obamacare, uh, this thing was crumbling down. But the point is, it's it, it, it. I guess to their mind, it could be considered rationing of care. We could say, well, thank God they finally come to their senses, however they've come to them. Well, this is a very good point that you bring up, Robert. If you notice in that article from MSNBC, they quote this Dr. Christine Castle, who's the president of the American Board of Internal Medicine. And they say that um, she's, the goal is to reduce wasteful spending without harming patients. She suggested some may benefit by avoiding known risks associated with medical tests, such as exposure to radiation. Now, this one sentence in this article basically puts the entire oncological radiation, oncological profession, the radiology mm-hmm. group that deals with oncology, the, the radiation oncologists, right? I mean, if it basically puts them on their head. It basically makes them obsolete because of what this woman just said. And this is what I personally believe. Now, one of my closest friends is Victor Marcial Vega, who is a radiation oncologist, and he's a uh, Harvard trained, really good, I mean, uh, John Hopkins trained, really good guy, very close friend. He's been a very close friend for 15 years. In fact, we talk probably two, three times a week. But this is taking his profession, his subspecialty, and basically stating that it is obsolete, which personally, I do think it is obsolete because I don't think there is a place for radiation in chemo. How do you get along with this friend of yours? Oh, he's he's a great guy. He actually... Chelates. He actually okay. uses infrared saunas. He he had me come to Puerto Rico and give a lecture at the American Cancer Society's lecture. It was the fifth annual Puerto Rican breast cancer conference that was sponsored by the American Cancer Society. American Cancer Society, and it was a conventional lecture. So when I was there, there were a lot of people that were like trying to figure out how the hell did this guy get on? How did on? you get in there? Right? Were they were they ever going to invite you back? I mean, that's amazing. Although actually, I'm supposed to be going back. In fact, his father is is uh, one of the top radiation oncologists in the country, and his father insisted that I sit with him at the head table um, where only the keynote speakers were. So it was myself and uh, one of the other lecturers, a keynote speaker and his father and two other people. I mean, he really does understand and believe and recognizes the the truth here. Um, Now, he is 
of a doctor that does say that there are cases where chemo and radiation have worked. And of course, we both acknowledge that there are cases where nothing has been done and it's worked, meaning that the person just believed right. that they were going to get better. So we know that the power of the mind is amazing and we can't even fathom how far it extends. And we've also talked about the power of placebo. So yes. there's, there's anything, you know, many things are possible. But the point is, Robert, that this particular doctor, who again, as I said, is a very good friend of mine. In fact, he was actually in Burton Goldberg's Definitive Guide to Cancer that came out, what, about 10 years ago. He was in that book as one of the top 20 cancer doctors in the, in, I think in the United States or maybe in the world. But um, you know, Victor calls me routinely to ask me advice on patients. He sends me patients all the time. And he's actually on my heavy metal DVD because he was sitting in a lecture in Miami hmm. on heavy metals. So, again, like I said, there's a very interesting point actually about him. He actually is the only human being that I know of that was HIV positive and is now HIV negative himself. Right. Well, he gave a lecture. I'm just thinking in in this, we open up a big can of worms because I've done so many shows on the fallacy of the entire testing procedure, but I'm just, you know, amazed to hear a guy that is subspecialty, is, you know, radiation oncology inviting you to Puerto Rico to speak to the American Cancer Society still blows my mind. Well, he still does some stuff in the radiation oncology, but he has his own clinic where he does where he chelates and he does a high dose vitamin C and he does the mm-hmm. you know all, all the convention uh, all the integrative therapies at his own clinic. So he's very much on this path and has been for many years. But that's his training, and that's what he he still does some of the formal radiation oncology at his dad's clinic. Mm-hmm. So he kind of splits his time between both clinics. But what's really interesting to me is that how he answered the question. When I first met him, it was in the mid-1990s. He was giving a lecture at ACAM. And after that, I went and talked to him. And he was talk, he talked about HIV, his own story, his HIV story. In fact, we talked about it maybe six months ago, and he totally had forgotten. He goes, I haven't thought about that in 15 years. But I asked him this question, Robert, and you love the answer he gave me. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew that this guy was, uh, he and I were going to be good friends. I asked him, I said, how did you take yourself from HIV positive to HIV negative? And remember, this is a guy now that was starting to have problems with his eyesight. He had renal issues going on. And do you know, how, you know he, he answered the question in one word because I said, how did you do it? Yeah. And he answered it in one word. You want to take a guess what that word was? Uh, maybe detoxification, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. No, he didn't say, he didn't say uh, detoxification. He said love. Ah, he went, he went deep. Yeah. And I said love? He said yes, God. Vitamin, vitamin L. Now, it's amazing. Think about this for a second. This is the same guy. I, I gotta, it's funny that we were talking about Victor. I just talked to him yesterday. When I went through my divorce, which was in 2000, so this 12 years ago, uh, let's see, let me think about this. Actually, it was 2002. I went through my divorce in 2000, but it was a two-year event. In 2002, one of the many court appearances, it was a very important one. I believe it was the, the biggest one, and it was the child custody issue, and there was a whole bunch of things that were happening. And he called me that night. I was still in my office, and he said, tomorrow's a big day, right? And I said, yeah. He said, I want you to do me a favor. And I said, what? And he said, when you're there in court, he said, I want you to just look at your ex-wife and the other attorneys, the opposing attorneys, and only hold one emotion in your heart. And I said, what are you talking about, Victor? <laughs> he said, just shut up and listen to me. Just promise me you'll do this. I said, okay, what? And you know, I'm like in my own head 
all these different things are going through. And here's this friend of mine calling me, telling me he wants me to hold this emotion. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I don't have time for this right now. I've got yeah. some real stuff I got to deal with. And he says, I just want you to remember this. He said, just have nothing but love and gratitude. Just extrude every feeling, positive feeling of love and gratitude. And I said, what the hell? <laughs> went off on him. And he's like, just shut up and listen to me. Just trust me. I want you to just hold this no matter what happens, no matter what she says, no matter what the other attorneys say, no matter how bad of a picture of the pain on you, I don't want you to hold anything but love and gratitude in your heart for all of them. Do you understand me? And he's like lecturing to me like he's my father. Wow. And I'm sitting there listening to this guy and I'm like, all right, Victor. And he's like, I'm serious. I said, okay, whatever. And he's like, I'm serious. You know, I mean, you could tell that I just wanted to get him off the freaking phone. But mm-hmm. anyway, the next day I'm in court and I'll tell you. My attorney told me, and Robert, we're totally off tangent here, but I guess maybe this is what make the sh- makes the show so good. Yes. But my attorney told me, he said that if you had to draw the worst possible straw for the worst possible judge, this is the judge. She is the worst possible judge for you because, one, she's a female, and, two, she was married to a doctor, and she got divorced, and he crapped on her, and she hates men, period. But if you're a doctor and you're a man and you're in her divorce court – you might as well just slit your own neck because she's going to do it for you. Oh, this is like one of those worst case scenarios if there oh, ever was one. I can't even tell you how bad it was. And <laughs> there, was a, there was a moment in there that she, you know, I don't want to get into all the details, but. No, no, that's all right. The, the, uh, basically, the judge made a comment when I said, the other attorney kept on pushing me, Are you, sh- Dr. Bittar, did you ever say, and she's going through all these things that supposedly I said that I was going to be a better parent and. My ex-wife wasn't educated, and so I was going to end up getting the kids because of that. She said, did you ever say that? And I said, no, I've never said that. And she says, let me remind you, you're under oath. Have you ever said that? I said, I've never said that. I I hold myself to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. When I said that, that judge just blew up. She stopped the court. She hits the gavel. She starts spitting and snarling, and she's talking about how sick and tired she is of all the the men that come into her court saying that they hold themselves to a higher standard and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, I, I didn't mean it because I'm a man. I don't mean it because, you know, who my father is, who my grandfather is, because I'm a military officer, an eagle scout, you know, whatever. I'm holding myself to a higher standard because of who I am. Nothing to do with being a man. Right, right. And she's just 45-second diatribe. She's screaming at the court, and I'm just sitting there. Wow. And I'm looking down, Robert, and I look up, and I look up, and I lock eyes with my attorney. My attorney was the past president of the North Carolina the Trial Lawyers Association, Right. I look up, and this is a 65-year-old man. I look up, and I see him, and he is, like, leaning forward, and he's got a dead lock on stare at me, and he's looking at me, and he shakes his head side to side, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh I look back down, and this judge finally stops talking. I look up again. My attorney's shaking his head, like, don't do it, and then he puts his hand on his forehead because he knew I was going to do it, and I turned around (laughs) to the judge, and I said, with all due respect, ma'am, I do hold myself to a higher standard. And it was like unbelievable. I mean, she was screaming at me so loud. She was like literally spitting in my face because she was so aggravated. The end story is that there was evidence that I had and the judge was so disgusted because I was innocent of everything. It was evident based on the evidence that was presented that she literally threw the piece of paper at the clerk, which said, you know, not guilty. And she walks away, storms out of the court. And my attorney was like, literally, if you can imagine a 65-year-old man trying to do a back somersault, you know, and he's hitting me in the back and he's saying, I can't believe what you just did because that's, I've never seen anything like this in my 35 years of practicing law, blah, blah, blah. You know why it all happened? It happened because of what Victor told me to do, and I did it. 
It was the hardest thing I have ever done. I, when they called me up to take the stand, I was squishing because mm-hmm. my socks were drenched with sweat. And this is an air-conditioned courtroom. My jacket was stuck to my shirt because I had sweat. I was just sitting there trying to hold nothing but this positive thought of love and gratitude. And I was physically – it, like, it was like I had just finished a 20-mile run. It was the physically the hardest thing I'd ever done, but I did it, and I think that's the reason that the outcome was the way it was. This is perhaps one of the most profound segments we've ever done together among, among many profound segments, Dr. Batar. Vitamin L and vitamin G, love and gratitude, and how it can get you through the worst possible things where it is impossible to get through it, and it becomes possible. That is the miracle. And that is what we're doing here on the Advanced Medicine Monday version of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're going to – let's take a quick break because we've, we've gone a little long here, but we've got 45 tests and procedures in addition to overcome <laughs> that modern medicine. Say, well, maybe a little bit of waste and fraud here. We can let go. Of it. We'll talk to you about that and more on the other side of this break. Give us a call at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. All the links are up at robertscoutbell.com. Back after this. If you're looking for FDA-approved radio, you're listening to the wrong show. This is the Robert Scott Bell Show. on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. I was thinking on the break, Dr. Batar, about the different ways we could use love and gratitude, uh, not only as a healer, but perhaps as someone coming to a healer as a patient, and how that could play out in the recovery from severe life-threatening diseases, ailments, disconnects like cancer. Well, Robert, that's a great point to bring up because uh, in the book itself, in my nine-step book, I have a segment about prayer meditation. One of the chapters, one of the nine steps is prayer meditation, as you recall. And I've got the Buttar family prayer in there. And that prayer is, a, is 22 words, and it starts off with love and gratitude. In fact, I have met people, some patients of mine, some I've never, don't even know who they are, just strangers that have come up. They knew I was lecturing somewhere. They brought it, they copied the book. They asked me to autograph it. And I would say in more than half those cases, when the people asked me to... Um, autographed the book, I've seen an emotional response on their face, like a physical emotional response. I didn't quite understand why they had like the ear, uh, t- eyes were tearing up or whatever the case is. But most of them all said that that family prayer, the Buttar family prayer, uh, they've got it written out on note cards. They've, their kids have memorized it. They, they believe that it's the most significant way for paying homage to the creator. Yeah. And it's just, it's just 22 words. Love and gratitude, health and wealth, success and prosperity, peace and tranquility, happiness and contentment, satisfaction and fulfillment, integrity and honor, discipline, courage, service and long life, intelligence, wisdom, spirituality and God. That prayer basically is, uh, all my kids say it, they say it every day, going to school, coming back. You know, I say it, I don't know how many times in a day. But the point is that, that everything starts with that love and gratitude. And when patients come to me, with especially cancer, we talk about that love and gratitude part. And the first lesson they have, whether I'm ever going to see them again or not, because remember, the first consult, we don't know what's going to happen. I basically listen to what they have to say. I take their history, and then I answer some general questions. They watch the cancer DVD, and then they make their decision after they've gotten all the information. But I never know if I'm going to end up seeing the person again because I don't want them to make their decision. I want them to pray and meditate and see if we are the right clinic for them. But their, their homework assignment, regardless if I ever see them again or not, is that they must hold this 
feeling of love and gratitude. And to do that, sometimes it's hard. It's lip service. People just give it lip service. In order to do that, I tell them to make a list of every single human being on the planet that has been or is still here. It doesn't matter if they've died or not, that they feel has wronged them, has done something of injustice to them. Because statistically, we know that 80, 85% of the people that you think that have committed an injustice against you are not even aware that they did something wrong. They, they just have, don't even know. But inside ourselves, we hold that feeling of anger and bitterness and remorse, and it festers like an abscess and, and essentially grows like that proverbial cancer. I believe that that one part, that emotional trauma that this person has had on a chronic basis year after year is the number one causative factor of cancer. It is another source of oxidative stress, just like all the seven toxicities. This is the fifth toxicity, the emotional psychological one. As you know, Robert, I'll go into great detail in the book on this and the, uh, on the seven toxicities. Yes. But, but the assignment is that they make this list and then systematically they start to forgive every person, whether it was a four-year-old that stole your money, milk money when you were in mm-hmm. pre-kindergarten or whether it was you know, your boss or you know, ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, ex-husband, ex-wife, whatever. You have to forgive them. And I tell them, it's not just saying, I'm going to forgive. You really have to forgive them. You truly have to forgive them. And you forgive them not because they deserve the forgiveness, but because you deserve the forgiveness. It is the most important component, Robert, of letting go and doing so with no ill feelings or harboring any negative energies anymore. Letting it go. We talk about letting things go. But we tend to hold on so strongly that it's that strong, you know, just like if you're driving a car, you hold on that steering wheel so tight and your hand starts cramping. That's what's happening to people. So when they let go and they really let go, it's just like when you let go of that steering wheel and your hand loosens up. Mm-hmm. Now, please, nobody driving down the road let go of your <laughs> steering wheel. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, we always got to be careful with that, that 1% that may take something that we're saying literally. But right. uh, all the facetiousness aside, what I mean is that by letting go and letting that feeling that abscess, that festering wound inside by letting it go, there's so much antioxidant benefit that you're getting. In other words, you're reducing that oxidative stress. Uh, in, in Dr. Majid Ali's book, he talks about this. He's my uncle. He talks about if, if uh, oxidative stress is the most powerful form of uh, oxidation or the most the, the stress, you know, mental stress is the most powerful form of oxidation or oxidative injury, then prayer is the most powerful antioxidant on the planet. And I, and I really do believe that. But this said. letting go is part and parcel of that meditative, meditative process that is crucial to allow you to start to forgive and let go. I think that uh, anything we do from this point forward is going to be anticlimactic. I think we can just break out in song and dance and we'll be fine. <laughs> That's, yeah, it, it's really brilliant. And what you said, too, I want to reemphasize that, the letting go and forgiving. That concept perhaps one of the most difficult things to do for people that are in a very severe, let's say, I won't even say emotional funk because that that may have preceded the physiological cancer that was diagnosed. As we say, we want to back people out of that. Um, the whole idea of, of letting go of the emotion. Now, some people would say, well, well, if I forgive them, but they don't deserve forgiveness. And you mentioned that specifically. It isn't about them. It's about you and your healing. Because they, as you said, in most cases are even unaware that they have done something that you are harboring 
you know, or holding against them that that would require forgiveness. So the very holding on to that doesn't serve them. It's not you're you're not helping them to recognize anything. You're literally only creating disease in your own body. Absolutely. That is absolutely it, Robert. And I think that if people just realize this and take this one component to heart that we've just discussed, I bet you 25 to 50% of the chronicity of disease would be reduced. Not just cancer, all disease. Yeah, I'd have to say I agree with you on that. I think that this is such an extraordinary opening segment. I I almost don't know where to go except that I promised that I would go through some of these 45 on the list. But as I I said, it it may be anticlimactic, but I still think it's fascinating to see all of these things that used to be so critical, crucial, we can't get by without it. Now suddenly, "Ah, we don't really need that. And I think I want to go through that list with you after this break, okay? Absolutely. All right. Dr. Batar continues here. Advanced Medicine Monday. Get the nine steps to keep the doctor the way. Uh, this is an international bestseller in many languages now. We've got the links up at robertscottbell.com. All this, the prayer as well, is in there and more. And we've got lots more healing to do on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Stand by. The Robert Scott Bell Show. to go where the truth takes him. Here's Robert. What are these 45 tests in medicine that they now say, well, we didn't really need them after all. I mean, they're going to claim it's all about waste and fraud, but we know it's more than that. And we're going to get right to the heart of the reasons why that they're not, maybe were never needed. And the first thing on the list, Dr. Batar, is these repeat colonoscopies with the 10 Year, within 10 years of a first test. And I remember this. My, my uncle, who was, uh, rest his soul, was a, a radiologist, nuclear medicine guy, of all things. And he was the, uh, I've mentioned this, he was the guy, the medical doctor, most inspiring to me, to said, don't go into medicine. I know you want to be a healer, Robert, but don't go into medicine because of what's happening. And, and I, you know, his, his, he really impacted upon me to go the uh, ultimately a different route. But his wife, in fact, in the hospital he worked at by a friend of his who was a doctor, performed a colonoscopy, and oops, guess what happened? Perforation. You got it. The perforation of the colon, the, the wall of the colon. And I don't know how often this happens, probably more than they're willing to let on. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. So it this all the time. This basic procedure can be a life-threatening procedure. Well, you know, the colonoscopies themselves, uh, it's strange that, They've actually put that at the top of the list. And I don't know if this list is actually in the order of importance. I I don't know either, but it just happened to be the first one. I thought we do have a lot of colon and intestinal issues. We would recognize a very legitimate issues, but we also have ways to address these things. Uh, But the risks are real. So what's your perspective? Why did they say, well, we'll do one, but we, we shouldn't repeat it within 10 years now? Well, I don't even know why they're doing one. That's like taking a shot off the planet Earth from, you know, 50 miles from outer space and then trying to tell you what the quality of the soil is. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, when you're doing a colonoscopy, mm-hmm. the only reason that I see to do a colonoscopy is if you've got a mass effect and you're trying to see where the obstruction is. And, and pretty much other than that, I don't know what the, what the reason is. I mean, if you have inflammation or you're looking for mucosal changes, there are, there are many other ways of doing it that are less expensive Less risky. Just do a stool sample and look for markers of inflammation, for God's sake. I mean, there's so many different things to do. But, Robert, as much as the colonoscopies, you know, may be an absurd thing Mm -hmm. in the first place, 
what I'd like for you to do is just look at these, this list yep. and see how many of them are to do with imaging. Mm-hmm. The second one says early imaging of back pain. The third one, brain scans for patients who've fainted. The fifth one, cardiac stress imaging. The, the seventh one, advanced imaging on bone scans. The next one, bone scanning for osteoporosis. There was a couple other ones in here, but look how many they're talking about imaging studies. Yes. And the imaging studies are all radiation. And then you go into that next paragraph where that's Dr. Christine Castle, Castle yeah. makes that comment about the exposure to radiation. Yes. You know, that, just, that just blows me away that they're actually saying that. And then, of course, on the next side mm-hmm. of the coin, everybody's getting a CAT scan, MRI, PET scan. And then they get it every three months once they've gone through the chemo and they get it the next three months and the next three months and the next three months. And of course, all this additive exposure to radiation is causing more and more DNA addicts to form. And then eventually the cancer comes back. Well, how do we know that the cancer came back because of the cancer and didn't come back because of all the freaking irradiation? And the thing is, the kind of levels of radiation exposure with all of these CT scans, enough that concerned me in a healthy person, much less someone you're treating for cancer. I mean, this is a dangerous absurdity, and for whatever reason they're figuring maybe this is not such a good idea, I'm happy that they're finally getting it. I don't almost care why, but the point is maybe less people will be harmed by this. And and I also thought about this, Dr. Batar, all of this imaging technology, radiational technology, they see stuff, but it gives them no insight as to the reason whatever has happened has happened. They just find it. Oh, look, we find it. Now, of course, what it leads to is... A more invasive procedures that can be as life-threatening or more life-threatening than the thing they discover. Robert, we're tracking exactly the same way because on the cancer DVD that you did the introduction for, mm-hmm. Cancer, the Untold Truth, I bring up this exact same point. By this monitoring with these various imaging studies that uh, is the, quote, the standard of care, it's the same thing as setting an alarm clock <laughs> when you're in bed to go off every 15 minutes so you can check to make sure that nobody's breaking into your house. <laughs> Proactively, if you think somebody's going to break into your house, you're going to get an alarm system, you're going to get a dog, you're going to do something, you're going to buy a gun, but you're not going to sit there and set your alarm at every 15 minutes to get up and see if there's a, somebody that's broken into your house. It's just absurd, and that's exactly what the approach is when you're dealing with cancer. They should do something proactive, like you know, very, very complicated things like improving your freaking diet or <laughs> reducing the amount of sugar or you know, how about just negating other sources of oxidative stress like radiation, for instance. Just simple things for God's sake and they, they do the most absurd types of testing that is going to further reduce the immune response in an already immune-compromised patient who has actually gotten even more immune compromisation from the treatment itself. So you, get, you can't get cancer unless you're immune compromised. Then you do chemo and radiation that further compromises your immune system. And then you do monitoring tests that's further mo- Im- compromising your immune system. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a, it's, it's just the most moronic thing. I mean, I cannot believe. This is the reason, Robert, I'm embarrassed to admit in public that I'm a physician. If I'm, at a, if I'm somewhere where nobody knows me, I don't even tell yeah. them I'm a doctor. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I can make fun of it sort of from the outside, but sort of, you know, on a sideline because, I, you know, I have very many dear friends in the medical community that recognize this, as, as you do. And it, it brings me great, you know, my heart gets happy when I see that, that there is transformation and change happening, even though these docs that are now not recommending these 45 
they have no idea, for instance, they could hear us speak and they'd be still scratching their heads on the reasons why we're talking about how unnecessary these things are. For them, it's all about cost. And, well, they sort of recognize now safety, but they really don't get it. And just like in the colonoscopy, you can get so close to the tissue within the colon that you can't see the forest through the trees. Now, what we're doing is stepping back and seeing that whole planet or the whole person and going these are the reasons why it you know you might have cellular damage inflammation or cancerous tissue in that area at the microcosm level and we're making sense out of the two whereas they are so lost in one they they lose sight of that bigger picture you're absolutely correct that's exactly what they do and it's that bigger picture that is so important to keep a hold of that vision must be held on to because this is the whole problem with medicine where we've gone into subspecialties and the sub-subspecialties, but we forget that the knee bone's connected to the hmm. hip bone, the hip bone's connected, you know, that, that story. Everything's connected. So when you give somebody a drug for one particular component and then it starts affecting the another part of the body and now you give another drug to counteract the effects of that first drug and then you give two other drugs to counteract the effects of the first two drugs, you see, we're forgetting and, and, and losing that vision of that big picture, and that's exactly right. You, you're, you, you said it perfectly. We have to, as a, um, as a profession, mm-hmm. from a medical profession, hold on to that vision of that global picture. And as patients, we must demand from our physicians that look at me as a human being, as a whole system, an integrated system, not as an isolated prostate or elbow <laughs> or a you know, gland or something. And if people demand it and they only go to the doctors that are looking at the whole picture, guess what? Doctors will shift or those doctors that don't shift won't have patients. Or they'll be locked into Obamacare where they're forcing you to go to them. Of course, that's the great danger. And and we know that's going to collapse before it becomes any, any kind of reality, no matter what the Supreme Court does. I want to go into this issue of female health now because one of the things that they're now talking about are pap smears on women younger than 21 or have had hysterectomy for non-cancer diseases. Now, these pap smears are not radiation. They're not necessarily an oncological chemotherapeutic assault. They're literally a scraping of cells, but that alone can facilitate chronic inflammation and injury in women that are deficient in nutrients, maybe heavy metal toxic, etc., that they're actually creating an injury that could end up turning one day into something that they're frightening women about. Well, Robert, the pap smear is a little bit uh, a different scenario. You may not agree with what my belief system is, but actually the pap smear is really not a big issue as far as I'm concerned. Here's why. Because first of all, the... Uterine lining sloughs off every month, every 28 days or so in a woman that is still of childbearing age. And uh, the actual process of a pap smear is Mm -hmm. not really inciting the inflammatory response that you're concerned about. I think a DNC does, of course. Oh, yes, of course, yes. But the the pap smear is just taking mm -hmm. a mucus layer off with a Q-tip. So it's not really going to cause that much of an issue. Now I'm overly sensitive about these women, and, and <laughs> but but still, granted, the 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 detection methodology there, completely divorced of uh, let's say that bigger picture again, the reality of what we're talking about, true causation. Well, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think that if you look at the greater picture again, though, and you look mm-hmm. at screening tests, if you have a test that's one exposing an individual to something that's toxic like radiation or a contrast material that's radioactive or a contrast material such as thallium or has something else in it that 
is actually a heavy metal uh, yes. that can cause a problem or is re- requires a, a in, infusion of some type of a substance that could be considered toxic to the liver or to the kidneys like certain other types of contrast material or a drug or something that affects the physiology mm-hmm. i believe it should not be used pap mm-hmm. smears believe it or not are one of the few things that is not exposing an individual to anything toxic that's not causing any damage and that is basically dependent upon the end user, the, the, the doctor who's looking at the pap smear mm-hmm. to actually, the, the, it's usually a pathologist that's looking at the pap smear to make a diagnosis based upon findings of, of that are cellular dysplasia, different, different levels, they rank it according to a number as such. You know, I've seen, as we know, epithelial tissue healed, obviously, topically and internally with silver and have women that had, uh, let's say, bad results after using a couple of weeks of direct Im- interaction with silver hydrosol to the cervix, res- you know, come back for a follow-up test and normalized uh, results. It's quite extraordinary, but it's what I expect based on what we know of properties of things that we can do to promote healing of tissue. Well, exactly. And that's my point that the histological component that we're looking at is really not detrimental to the individual mm-hmm. whose histology picture we're looking at, as opposed to many of these other things. So to me, if a person is giving a sample of urine, mm-hmm. of saliva, of a mucus that's not taken using an obtrusive or invasive process, yes, I, I think that's fine. I, I don't necessarily... One of our least concerning on the list, then. Exactly, because mm-hmm. I, I may not use it myself, but to me, if they want to use it, fine. If you think there's a benefit to you, fine. At least it's not hurting the person. Because remember, in medicine, it's the first rule is do no harm, and yet pretty much everything we do in medicine is harming the patient. Mm-hmm. So when I see a whole list of different things and pap smears on there, that's like the one thing that I'm <laughs> thinking, like, okay, fine, go ahead. All right, and do no it. worries. <laughs> All right, well, so if there is a concern, we've got ways to address that as well. I appreciate your perspective. That's why you're here with me, and we have a great time each week doing it we've got one more advanced medicine segment coming up after the break remember all the links are up there to the book of course the nine steps to keep the doctor away the medical rewind all the great stuff in fact if you want to hear the hours and hours and hours now of uh, recordings that we have they're up and available through my website and through dr batars we've got those linked up as well stand by a couple more things on the list i want to go through after this in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We could not complete this list of the 45 things that the docs are now saying. Maybe we shouldn't be doing them if we didn't always, well, like we do before many times we have, address the issue of the overuse and abuse of antibiotic medicines, if we can call them that. And that is on the list, in fact, for sinusitis. But we would say, in many cases, it's unnecessary. I agree with you. I agree that more often than not, all antibiotics are actually unnecessary for most conditions. There was an article that came out in the emergency medicine journals. I don't remember exactly which one it was. It was one of the free journals that we get for in, in each of the different specialties. They have a couple of free journals. It's usually a way for the different pharmaceutical companies to advertise their different drugs, but you end up getting this free journal, and it's pretty, it's pretty nice, actually. And so one of the free journals in emergency medicine had this article that came out, and it was around the early part of the turn of the century, around 2001, I think it was. And I was really amazed to see this article actually in this 
magazine, in this emergency medicine magazine, because it was talking about the causation of ear infections in the emergency room and how 75 to 80% of ear infections, otitis media or otitis externa, that are diagnosed in the emergency room are viral and as such don't require antibiotics. And so they were saying basically that 75 to 80% of all ear infections were being misdiagnosed and treated with antibiotics and that was helping to promote the resistance of these bugs to antibiotics. So it's not just sinusitis. I think it's most of the upper respiratory infections and probably some of the lower respiratory infections where antibiotics are absolutely the wrong thing to do. And in fact, Robert, in a viral infection, if you give somebody antibiotics, it's actually going to increase the duration of that normally self-limiting condition. Yes. And, and you know, every week I talk to people off the air, and there's not one week that goes by, Dr. Batar, that I don't talk to someone who is seeing a traditional licensed physician who gives them an antibiotic even though they're unsure that it's even, a, uh, let's say, a bacterial or they are certain it's viral and they still give it to them. I mean, even with all of the information and knowledge within that field, it's still happening. Well, you know, there's a reason that they do that. CYA medicine. Well, that's part of it. Yes, that's very, very true. That's very, very true, Robert. But here's the other part of it. When a person gets a viral infection their immune system is now suppressed. They're, they're kind of under the weather. Mm-hmm. And when you get under the weather and your body's a little bit taxed, you get a secondary bacterial infection. But the problem is that not everybody gets a secondary bacterial infection. So a lot of the doctors will just prophylactically put a person on the antibiotics, but that's lazy medicine. And now what that does, it, it kills all the endogenous flora, right. all the normal balanced flora, so as in a woman with a yeast infection, when they end up taking a the, – the cascade almost invariably starts with they had an upper respiratory infection. They weren't sure what it was. They go to the doctor. The doctor gives them an antibiotic. Now they end up getting a yeast infection right. because that antibiotic killed off all the good bacteria down below, and now they've got a yeast infection, and this is how the cycle goes on. Right. So that's actually a lazy way of practicing medicine. The, the best way is to take a – to have a person that has this type of condition, you first diagnose it by – Clinical observation and examination, not by some kind of test. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at what color is a phlegm coming out. Is it green? Is it yellow? Is it clear? You know, is a person having a high fever, low fever? What are the symptoms? Are the body aches? Are the myalgias? So if somebody has a clear uh, drainage, they're getting high fevers, they got a lot of body aches, it's viral. Tell them to have chicken broth and mm-hmm. bump up their vitamin C and sleep some extra and take a day off work, you know, and most of those people within two or three days are going to be better. Yes. But then when you take that antibiotic, that antibiotic now creates this imbalance. And I would say that half the problems occur from viral illnesses that have been treated inappropriately with antibiotics. And then you get that secondary bacterial infection, which they the wanted antibiotic to was there to actually prevent it. But that secondary bacterial infection that does start is now resistant to the, to the yes. antibiotic that the person was on. And last week, we talked a lot about the placebo effect, embracing the placebo effect. I am certain as the day is long that the people tell me after they, well, but the doctor gave me the antibiotic and I felt immediately better. Well, there's the classic placebo effect because there may not have been any bacterial infection. Why would you immediately feel better? By and large, you're going to have that, oh, well, they, give, they gave me something. It's working. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Well, you know, this is a, a really a transformative of all the shows we do. I just each each week it always surprises me. I don't not really because I know the things we can do together are so wonderful. But it's just been fun today. I tell you what, with starting with the vitamin L and the vitamin G added in, that's the thing that the, the nice cofactors when they say vitamin E and selenium. This is vitamin L and G, love and, and gratitude. I love that combination. Well, the the words themselves have so much power to them, Robert. And if you've read Dr. Emoto's book and what he did, yes with the words love and gratitude and bottles of water and um actually i'm not ready to quite share it yet with the rest of the world but i i will talk to you about it off the air okay but um there's going to be something that's happening and there'll be a signature that everybody will know that it's at least my signature perhaps dr Moto's signature your signature people that believe like us Mm -hmm. but it will involve the words love and gratitude and they'll see it everywhere beautiful beautiful and we'll be able to share some of that up at the uh, live foundations awards uh, event june 29th and 30th Uh, keep those votes coming in for the robert scott bell show we are nominated dr batar is one of the featured speakers at the event as well it's going to be so exciting if you haven't gotten your tickets if you can't make it up there there's live stream event tickets as well you don't have to be present but we hope to bring you have everybody come on up to new york till we fill the place up also you've got an upcoming medical uh, conference we should let everybody know for the docs in the audience yeah there's a uh, insulin potentiation for cancer treatments a conference coming up in dallas it's called the ipt conference and it's the end of the month, I believe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, I will be lecturing there. Beautiful. Well, listen, that about wraps up this Advanced Medicine Monday. You've got to re-listen to this one a number of times to absorb it all, but it is so profound, so beautiful. The healing. I'm, already, I'm floating just from this one today, Dr. Batar. I think I'm going to take a few days off. So does that mean we're not recording uh, next uh, Monday? <laughs> no, no, I'll be back for that. I'm not going to miss that. <laughs> Got lots of cool stuff coming up. Of course, Healing Revolution on Fridays with Dr. King. We have a great time here. And you know, it's all in the spirit of healing and the fun that we have doing so. Because why? The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.